Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. So hello, here we are again. Um, we're welcoming a very special guest and we just realised it's a topical subject it and guest, even though we didn't know it was topical. Indeed. Why is that? Mock, hello. Hello. Tell tell me why we're topical. So it is LGBTQ plus history month. So you are on the money and on the zeitgeist today. As always. Absolutely. Well, this is good news because we're taking a sort of forced forced leave of absence from royal stories. We are. And we're moving back a century. Done with Harry, are you? For the moment. Yeah. Okay. We've said it to but one if side. Find, all done if you Harry. can find any parallels, we'll always be happy <laughs> to hear We're no longer wild about Harry. The outsider? Harry. Maybe, Not, no longer wild, wild about, about Harry. Harry. Sorry. Oh, had to, oh, had to get it. it in there. Well done. But uh, no, well, anyway, for our disappointed audience, uh, don't worry, there'll be plenty of uh, staple ingredients. Sex. Controversy. Establishment cover-up. Cover-ups. Oh, court yeah, cases. Absolutely. Everything. Because we're talking, fleeing the country. Because we're talking hmm. about, well, we're talking about Oscar Wilde primarily. Yeah, absolutely. But also I think we're talking about Kind of what is gay history? And why is gay history different from history history? And why is he so important? And why I suppose is he, yeah. the story. Why is mm. he keep part of it? A prophet and an icon, some might say. So we'll we'll chat about that, I hope. Well, we're always being told off rushing ahead um, and assuming knowledge. So really basic primer. Oscar Wilde, hugely famous. Victorian. Dominated the theatrical scene, literary artistic scene. Mm-hmm. Fell from grace because of a ill-advised court case in which his homosexuality was the central element, um, broke from all of his associates, his family, exiled, imprisoned, health broken, exiled, dies tragically mm. in Paris. Bit of a gloomy subject, really. Mm, mm. I'm sure you can put some life into it, though, because there are lots of parallels and lots of interesting stories to discuss and see how and why we're talking about him today. Why, you know, someone who died before the beginning of the 20th century, is still a staple of our conversations. What can we learn about society and him, and maybe ourselves, talking about Oscar Wilde? I mean, also, you know, how big a figure was he in Victorian society? So I think what's interesting, I mean, the first thing to 
to note about Oscar Wilde, he wasn't English. He was Irish. So, okay, he was from Irish gentry, sort of upper middle class, vaguely aristocratic, you know, his mother, Lady Wilde. But he he was an outsider right from the very beginning. And at the beginning, he was very much a social climber and wanted to establish his position in society. But he did establish it through his literary genius. You know, his plays were packed out. He played to huge society audiences. But what's interesting about him and his plays and him being such a celebrity is he also just lampooned and satirised the audience that was enjoying his work. And whether or not they loved the fact they were up there on stage or reflected in his work, or whether they just were too thick to realise that as an outsider, he had this sort of slightly skewed uh, point of view. I think that's quite interesting. But he was huge. He would have been you know, absolutely one of those. Today, he'd be all over Instagram. He'd have his own YouTube channel. He'd be on Saturday Night TV. He'd be like Michael McIntyre. He would be, absolutely. And he would be on... he'd be too big for our show. I don't know. I don't know. If you're talking LGBTQ plus history, I'm sure Oscar would... Although, interesting, it wasn't even called gay or LGBTQ plus in those. It was called Uranian love. Uranian love? Yes. I mean, the idea, homosexuality, the actual word, was invented in 1869. I read a piece last week for my PhD where someone said homosexuality was brought into being in 1869. <laughs> it's always rather ridiculous when you look at someone like Emperor Ai of China, Greek who was, well, Greeks, well, and Greeks then 7, 7 BC, <laughs> the Chinese emperor was sleeping with his minister. So yeah. So, but to your question, huge celebrity, absolutely. Because of his wit and his beautiful writings and his observations, his observations of the nuances of society. And it was also, in some ways, taking himself to the edge, which had led to the problems with the court case, didn't it? Yeah, I think he was a man of extremes. Whether it was extreme eating, he was huge. Whether it was extreme loving, he certainly had many, many lovers. Uh, or whether it was extreme living or you know, even in his plays, you know, really pushing things to the edge. He lived absolutely life to the extreme. And you mentioned, you know, dying tragically, exiled... Um, Uh, just before the dawn of the 20th century. He drank so much brandy every single day. His cigarettes were dipped in opium. So he was a man of extremes. And maybe that's something about an artist, actually. They live slightly on the edge. They have to be slightly extreme. They have to be slightly other so they can observe society and then play it back to them, to us through their lens. But he also had this domestic life. He was married, he had children. So in some ways, he had a double life there but also had in some ways a very stable life to contrast those extremes. Yeah, he was married to Constance and they lived in Tite Street in Chelsea. Um, but that wasn't, you know, it's not unusual. If you think about at the time, homosexuality was illegal. Now, whether he would have called himself gay or homosexual, actually those terms probably he wouldn't have recognised and certainly would have called themselves Uranian and he was a prophet for Uranian love. But, you know, legal discrimination at the time, it was illegal, as as you know, as we now see in the court case and the subsequent imprisonment. You couldn't really, or it was very hard to live as an openly LGBTQ plus person. But bisexual, I mean, a happy marriage, producing children. No, not necessarily happy. I mean, again, you had to marry. He had to marry financially as well. He needed some money and Constance had a regular income. She was part of you know aristocracy and had an income. So there was an element of that. And also sort of you could enter society if you were playing the game of society. In fact, you know, research will say that um, he did marry her. They went to their honeymoon in Paris and then sort of enjoyment sexual relations stopped. He was expected to, you know, to have a son and a, and a spare. We all know about being a spare. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> ultimately, they lived a very separate life. He lived in hotels. He travelled a lot. Often Constance, his poor wife, 
didn't even know where he was, didn't have an address, would have to write to friends, asking them to send him, send her money. So he lived a life on the surface of this, you know, of very, conventionality, very conventional not- life in Chelsea with two boys and a wife. But actually, you know, if you look under the, under the surface a little bit, and he loved going under the surface and very deep, you'll see it was a completely different life. And did she have lovers? Did she, are you talk about a separate life? It sounds like she was sort of beholden to him. Yeah, I, well, I think actually, again, the role of women in those days, you were absolutely subject to your husband, you were their property, you know. So I don't think she had much opportunity to live an independent life. She was effectively, in many times, a single mother raising two children in London with this celebrity husband. Now, she must have have been aware of some of the gossip. She presumably would have read some of the kind of scandal pieces. You know, some of his pieces of work were were very badly reviewed in terms of very personal comments about his effeminacy, uh, about being very, very near the knuckle in terms of describing gay sex. So she probably would have had an inkling. But, you know, all of us in life can be guilty sometimes of seeing what we want to see. And what option did she have? It was very difficult to divorce him. Um, although she did ultimately divorce him uh, after a bit of shenanigans when he was in jail, whether she would or she wouldn't divorce him. But actually, she's the true, she's really one of the true victims that's completely overlooked. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned Constance. And I'm in front of, I did a book called Wild's Woman. I don't know if you know that, Eleanor no. Fitzsimmons, which is about the woman around him and their influence. But I mean, in some ways, she wasn't unique. I mean, if there must have been lots of women in these lavender marriages who, yeah. in a sense, had to put up with this. Yeah, absolutely. And that was what society had forced men to take that position. Or do you think they were having their cake and eating it? So I think actually, I, I think sometimes you've got actually two LGBTQ plus people who came together and said, right, let's, let's marry uh, and we can have our, our separate relationships. Mm. You know, you've got people like the Bloomsbury the group. Bloomsbury group. Yeah, yeah. you know, decades later. living in squares and loving in triangles. You've got Dora Carrington and Lytton Strachey and then Dora marrying Ralph, Lytton's lover. So, you know, people, uh, again, in terms of lessons, we all, we all navigate our way through life and find out what works fluidity for us. or more acceptance of fluidity, I mean, and the spectrum than perhaps there has been since. Well, I, 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 is there, was there more acceptance? I think certainly if you look at English public school, uh, you know, and you have any kind of the written records of people like Lord Alfred Douglas Bosey, you know, they were, they certainly was an element of boys playing with boys when they were, when they were, when they were at school. So it, it was there. But actually then, remember, it was a very, very moral society. The Christian values were really important. We had Queen Victoria on the throne establishing, you know, what the ideal family was and how people should live. And, and there were of, no lesbians then. Well, well that's they hadn't invented either. They no, invented. Well, no. actually, you know, there, there, there's an interesting point actually about lesbians. There wasn't legislation against it. And, you know, there's, there's two rumours. One that uh, Elizabeth I refused to acknowledge they exist. And then when an act was put in front of Queen Victoria I, that she refused to sign it because she said women couldn't, can't do that. Now, one, and, and that actually isn't true, but it's a rumour. Um, one is that men at the time couldn't imagine what women could do. How could women have sex with each other because there was nothing there? So they were kind of quite, you know, short-sighted in terms of uh, a pleasure that a woman might want. So that's the first thing. But secondly, actually, there's a conversation to be had about whether if you are absent from legislation and absent from history as a gay woman... Is that to your benefit or has your whole being in some ways been kind of abnegated and and edited out of existence? So they did exist and certainly, you know, Oscar Wilde probably would have known a few. Um, But I, I, I see, you know, I'm researching history of LGBTQ plus people in the country house for my PhD. And there are f- even fewer records 
of successful and happy lesbian couples. We've got our ladies in Wales, the ladies of Tangolan. Exactly. Yes, yes, absolutely, North Wales, who are Irish aristocrats. We've all seen Gentleman Jack. We, who was, who absolutely, it was a real person as well. So, but again, she was incredibly moneyed. Yeah. So she, well, I was going to turn the conversation to class, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, because, um, I mean, you. Because we're British and we Because we're to. British and you two are very posh. <laughs> uh, oh, my father uh, was from I, Ireland, came here with £1.50. This accent was bought at Latin Oh, I thought, you, oh I thought you styled yourself <laughs> the Gay Aristo. So, yeah, I, uh, my Instagram account is the Gay Aristo on Aristo. Instagram and on YouTube. And that's because when I. Um, I've loved history all my life, but I've never really, as a gay man, seen myself. In it, and I, as a child, my parents would take me to you know, you know, to uh, country houses, national trust, uh, to go and visit these country houses. But again, I never saw myself represented. So when I started my PhD, looking at country houses, I had I thought I'd write about cushions or curtains or not <laughs> gardens. But actually, I found that there are so many LGBTQ plus people in those great states exactly. who we don't Lord, know about. Lord Farrington, Lord, and absolutely, and Lord Byron, and you've got Beckworth, and so I said. There's a whole history here that needs to be told. So originally I started telling the history of LGBTQ plus people in the great estates, but then it's moved on now to be more hidden history, LGBTQ plus stories, a bit of royal stuff in there and other gorgeous things. Lovely. Well, okay, so back to class, my favourite favorite subject. Well, is it the case then that this is a story about, you know, you could go to prison and and Wilde indeed does, Mm. but if you're working class and you're found, you know, in cottaging in Hyde Park, and, and, you know, you look at the diaries of various cabinet ministers and members of the House of Lords um, from the early years of the 20th century. You think you come to the St. James's Park must have been full of people trying to make guards. It was some Georgian but, days. But, but it was always, the, it seemed to be, it was the poor people that ended prison. Yeah. And if you were lucky, if you were a well-connected theatrical knight yeah. or a, a top politician or maybe a famous playwright, if you kept it within certain limits... You could just about live a life. Got married, had children. Exactly. But the great thing, you could just about live a life. Brought the classes together, didn't it? It was the few times that the Aristos saw. So why did so why did Wild? You know, he's he's doing his thing. Maybe this is meeting Douglas is perhaps the key moment. But why does he kind of fall off that little structure that that enables him to live a kind of free life? So I think he fell in love. I think that's the key to it. He fell no, in love so with who this Lord is. Alfred Douglas, uh, known as 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 Bosey, was uh, you know a an aristocrat, the son of Lord Queensbury, and he was a gay man. And Oscar met him when he was at Oxford University, when Bosey was at Oxford University, and they had initially no Bosey wasn't attracted to him, although Oscar was. Bosey got into a terrible blackmail situation. We don't know the exact details actually of what it is. They've been destroyed in history, which a lot of gay people's lives were destroyed by Mm. their descendants to protect their reputation. But Oscar helped him out, put him in touch with a solicitor, helped him out. And uh, then they sort of got closer and closer and had this mad, passionate affair that I think was incredibly destructive. We've all made bad choices in in boyfriends or girlfriends, uh, and they certainly, you know, were damaging to each other. But in terms of the class thing, I think what's interesting there is that they were known as kind of renters, young men um, on the streets of London, often around Piccadilly and around Mayfair, and then obviously in Paris and and Italy later on when, when Oscar lived there. But they were often incredibly young, incredibly poor, and they were like you know a couple of a couple of meals away from starvation, and in, and and uh, there was a whole kind of industry in blackmailing. 
these men. So uh, someone would go and, uh, you know, have a liaison with a man and then blackmail him, charge five pounds for a letter if that letter was, you know, if he was, if he wrote to him. So there was a whole industry of that. Difficult to blackmail him if he was in Italy or France and away from Britain. Difficult to blackmail. Well, that's why a lot of gay people actually, you know, uh, mm. once once stories were out, they fled to the continent. You know, it wasn't illegal in France. Sodomy wasn't illegal in Is that France. Right? No, absolutely not. It was Napoleon, I think, he decriminalised it. Interestingly, you know, isn't was it one of the French presidents who said all all, all English men are homosexuals, but they decriminalised sodomy before we do? But um, I say nothing on the comment there. But mm. but interestingly, that whole thing, Oscar didn't give up sex outside of his relationship with Bosie. Neither did Bosie. They had a group of kind of, you know, middle-class, upper-class men sort of that they that they continue to have sex with and share, but they also continue to sleep with prostitutes. It wasn't an exclusive relationship. Now, you know, me, married eight years, in a relationship with the same man for 10, I don't choose that. And it's difficult not to make judgments on him. But that is partly when you're living in a society where you can't live as your true, authentic self, you find ways to make your life work. But even today, he would be very harshly judged. I think today, I mean, I think... For these boys, what are they, 14, 15? 14, 15, I think absolutely. Society's attitudes today would be very different. Um, I think, think, uh, you know, if you look back to Greek times, there were different attitudes towards what effectively is abuse. When you look at the fact he talks about having boys of 14 to his hotel in Mayfair... That is difficult to stomach. That is actually abuse. Um, And I also think with Oscar Wilde, we hold him up always as this amazingly witty prophet of homosexuality. There was a very dark side to him, whether it was drugs or alcohol or whether it was engaging in, in sexual abuse he of children. He consumed things and people. Yeah, he, Just in excess. it's a wonderful way of describing it. He was consumed... He, was he a happy person? I don't... I mean, I, don't, I would love to sit down... And talk to him. You know, who would you like to meet when you first go to heaven? Certainly not Jane Austen with her acerbic wit, but maybe Oscar Wilde. Yes. I th- well, I, can we you? Do, we do have a studio in Elysium Fields, so we <laughs> <laughs> marvelous. I should check it out. Um, it's hard. He was probably incredibly stressed. I think you know he had one view that he wants to be almost the most the most famous playwright poet literary sensation in the world. That was his dream. And he did achieve that. And he moved into very, very, you know, uh, upper class society uh, situations. So again, he achieved that. But ultimately, if you're not, if you're not able to be with the person you love, you're not able to be honest 360 about yourself, which is what LGBTQ plus History Month is all about, understanding where we've come from as a community so that we can then really create the futures we desire, then I, I can't imagine he was a very happy man, certainly very stressed. And in, the, in, the, in, the, in his last days after prison, when he'd lost all of his status, when he was ignored by people like, like Beardsley, who had you know drawn cartoons for him, who'd been very successful on the back of Oscar, I think that's why the drugs and the alcohol really overtook him. So it's an in, element in term, of self-destruction, of the, actually, I, I, I think say. so. Because yes. in some ways, you know, he, he brought this case when he didn't need to. And then, you know, all the reputation management would say, well, basically, play let's, along. Let's, tr- let's explain yeah. how, we, how he gets to court, because... <laughs> You know, we've set him up as this man who consumes everything, but he's now he's now consumed by love as well, and maybe it's the threat to that obsession love, and love, love for Bo, for Bosie, <laughs> yeah. that leads him to make some decisions that many of his other friends are telling him not to make. So, mm-hmm. 
Can you explain what, yeah, what actually Yeah, so Bosie's happened? father, Lord Greensbury, very connected <clears throat> aristocrat, uh, who's also other son was having homosexual relationships as well. So the poor man was absolutely beside himself. You know, his position in society, his children carrying on in a way that would have been very, very criticised at the time. He, he believed that Oscar was infecting Bosie. And that if he could somehow get Oscar away from Bosie, Bosie would right. suddenly become straight, and then you know, so Wilder stumbled into a family in crisis. Absolutely, a family in crisis, and a well-connected family. And Queensby decides that he's going to get Oscar Wilde. Wilde is 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 his you know is his enemy, and he tries that at the opening of one of, of Wilde's performances. He he ter- he buys a ticket and tries to get into the theatre with um, a whole load of rotten vegetable. That when Wilde takes his curtain call, he wants to throw it at at, at Wilde on stage. However, he's foiled they had a police protection around the theater his ticket wasn't on it so what he did is you know oscar and 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 Bosie living in hotels going off for weeks at end in italy and carrying on and reports came back from the expat community that old things were happening in the villa up the hill he decides that he the only way he can um he can really get wild is by turning up at wild's club leaving a card which said which basically outs oscar wilde and he says oscar wilde Ponce and sodomite. Doesn't spell it, though. Now, and actually, he doesn't spell sodomite correctly. Yeah. And he also wrote Ponce. Now, when it came, and that when Oscar saw that, he knew that he'd been outed. It was a credible insult. But having homosexual sex was worse than murder, as far, according to society at the time. So he, 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 it was the, he knew... His honour was at to, stake. His honour, that's a mark. His honour was at stake. So the court case we'll get into in a moment. What's interesting is... When the handwriting is terribly poor, and when you when he went to court, Queensbury said he wrote posing as a sodomite. Now the reason he sort of changed, and you don't, you can't really make it out, but I think it looks like ponce and sodomite. Being a ponce means you're living off the immoral earnings of prostitutes, and that was a very very serious claim. Oscar wasn't doing it, and I think Queensbury's counsel said to him, "You will lose the case." If you call him a ponce, so say it's posing as a sodomite, because it doesn't really make sense posing as a sodomite. Anyway, so Oscar is left in a position. Do I flee? That that would help him on his libel, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But if if you'd have been there to advise him at that moment, what would you have said? To who? To Oscar. Oscar. To Oscar. I think I think that almost the jig was up at that point. Uh, The jig was up. One of the most kind of very well-connected men in society with pots of money connected in with members of the government who may also have had the same proclivities as Oscar Wilde, the Prime Minister at the day, Rosebery, the Liberal government Prime Minister. We believe that he, in fact, was gay or at least bisexual. Um, And so that rumour has it, or historians... Fantastic book here, The Secret Life of Oscar Wilde by Neil McKenna. If you want to read more, you must read this book. It's absolutely amazing. He talks in detail about, about the Prime Minister being blackmailed by Queensbury, and Bosie thought was at the time as well, that he would be outed if he didn't go hard for Oscar Wilde. Right. So it was actually, as you say, a, a cover-up. The government had to make almost a, um, you know, a full guy of Oscar Wilde to save the Prime Minister and all of the other people that um, were potentially you know, going to be um, implicated. So Oscar ill-advisedly decides to sue for his reputation, like Cassio and Othello, all you have is your reputation. So he sues... And at this stage, <clears throat> though, I mean, I think I'm right, his most celebrated work still, Importance of Being Earnest, 
has just launched. I mean, he's absolutely at the peak of his success. He's at the peak of his success. And rather sadly, some of the actors from that refused to come to court to represent his character. People let him down. People really let him down. And that book, that play, of course, has this hidden subtext about the... All of his plays, Salome, you know, which absolutely outrageous at the time and and really struggled to get shown in in, in England. You know, there's there's a a subtext that John the Baptist is gay, which is why he won't kiss Salome. So it's always the picture of Dorian Gray, absolutely full of references to the underworld, to homosexuality, to, to, to sleeping with rent boys. Oscar Wilde was hiding in plain sight and he was basically... Um, that, you know, the lid was lifted and it was either run or try and protect my reputation. A foolish thing to do, uh, because ultimately what he was being accused of, well, the sodomite part, was true. Yes, and he was taking on somebody with lots of money, as you say, with the help of the government. Yeah. And they were going to send detectives and they were going to find people to say very damaging things. Yeah. Which is what happened in court. And also, interesting, your point around class and about the young boys, they were often very poor. So Queensbury threw some high notes at them and they were basically happy to say, well, most of them were happy to say whatever Queensbury wanted in court. Um, And these young men standing up saying how Oscar had abused them and he had uh, abused their situation and abused them individually um, was part of the whole kind of scandal piece of Oscar Wilde. Interestingly, Oscar, you know, fluctuated between being absolutely at his finest and, you know, laugh, make, making the courtroom laugh, etc. to really go into kind of the depth of despair or, and, and losing his train That's of thought. That's a famous joke when he said, did you kiss this boy? And he said to the jury, and they all g- giggled, no, he's much too plain for and me. And that's it. Well, isn't that, that was his defiance, isn't it? With a dive, yes, exactly. That management, reputation management wasn't good on this. Wasn't one. great, but, but and it's they didn't have because you of... said had been he'd been the enfant terrible. He had been the man that poked middle class morality. But like Bernard Shaw was doing similar things on. And Bernard Shaw lent him money when he was did in he? exile. Bless him. I'm yeah, Bernard Shaw did. did. Yeah, he was, so, he was he... one people that didn't deserve. I'm him. glad to hear. Did that. He feel... Irish man, you see, the Irish exile. Well, I'm Irish. We stick together. Did he feel he had to, in some ways, play this part? That I mean, he was going to go out you know, on a high rather than in sense, you know, show remorse and try and get himself off. Can you imagine though, you create this massive reputation for yourself and then <clears throat> you quietly slink away on the on the, on the the boat to France. And there's a, probably an element of... Yeah, but it would have saved... The, could it have given saved, him 20 it more years of life. wouldn't have saved his ego. Really? And I think there's probably... An, there's T.S. Eliot, who said, we prepare a face to meet the faces we will meet. So I think Oscar had this face and it was who he was and he was going to see it to the death. But of course, the libel case, he lost. And then, you know, so kind of you are there in a sodomite and therefore he was arrested and trialled for the love that dare not speak his name and or its name. And did you say that in court? I, I think he, I, think, I, can't, I can't remember if it's in a poem or a play, or but um, they'll probably put it in the show notes. I can't remember exactly. Did, did, but you, did he realise the sort of penalties he might have? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was two years imprisonment. He could have got worse if he was actually, you know, if he had been uh, tried for being a ponce, it would have been much worse. But yeah, two years, hard labour in prison. But also you... And the hard labour was the nasty part of it because he was not a healthy man. No, he was a large man, very corporal. Uh, and, and also he I lived in a very... think he went to the gym very often. No, a very rarefied life of kind of going from salon to salon, eating, drinking, saying wonderfully amusing things um, and getting a few hours sleep and then carrying on the next day. So I didn't think he did couch to 5K in those days. Absolutely not. No. no. Okay. So 
does he have a chance to flee between the court cases? And again, does he make the decision he'd rather face his... Yeah, so when he loses the case, <clears throat> he goes to sit in a hotel in Cadogan Square, uh, in Sloan Square, and all of his friends are begging for him to flee. And he chooses not to. Now, there's a couple of things around that. Partly, one is, do you do you stay and face the music? And I think that's partly why this whole kind of reputation of him being a martyr, standing up for the LGBTQ plus cause. He was called a Uranian prophet at the time. So I'm going to stand and fight. And there were, you know, secret societies where people would um, talk together and meet together and say, we're going to fight our corner. We're going to make the case for gay love. I think we've interpreted him staying behind partly as that. There was an element also that the government and the police moved incredibly quickly. Normally, someone is arrested within 48 hours. He was arrested within six. Wow. There wasn't much time for him actually to flee. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. Just a matter of hours when the warrant was arrested. And, you know, the cabinet met to discuss it. The cabinet or several of the ministers met together to discuss what was going to happen. It was at that level of, of government and that level of kind of public debate that uh, even the you know, ministers of the crown were involved. And, and so did he really have the opportunity to escape? Probably. But also it moved incredibly quickly. Maybe if he had a night's sleep, in the hotel, got up the next day and thought, right, I'm going to get myself to Paris. But he almost didn't have the time to do it and was taken straight to jail in North London. But I'm interested by this point because it seems to be his ego was the thing that, mm. that drove him. And yet you're saying that he's now represented as this prophet and, and this martyr, but he never really intended to be a martyr, did he? Well, I, as I say, you know, part of the Uranian, there was a group, the Uranian cause, people like Robbie, some of his friends were, you know, putting together a kind of society that was arguing, issuing pamphlets that were arguing the course, uh, the case for LGBTQ plus people. And certainly he was, you know, involved and knew them. Um, but I think, you know, history is history is about interpreting facts, isn't it? So, you know, that is why, you know, the story of Oscar Wilde now has a particular slant. We, thankfully, we live in a society where, you know, I can marry my husband and live in wedded bliss in a small village in Wales and no one bats an eyelid when I'm serving coffee in church at the end of, of the service. But in those days, it was very, very different. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole piece there around how we now have taken him to suit the story that we want to tell, which is around this great martyr. And but- when does that begin? I mean, you know, we, we clearly have it now, and we've got it with, with a lot of the films and things that have come out. Mm. But I mean, wh- when did that start? So I certainly know that, I mean, I learned about Oscar Wilde at school, but I went to school when Section 28 was part of the government legislation where you weren't allowed to promote homosexuality or homosexual lifestyle. In the 80s. Yeah, sorry? In, In the, the 80s. 80s, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So when we discussed Oscar Wilde, we may, we may have slightly referenced him being Irish, but again, you didn't really talk about being Irish in those days either. So <clears throat> being Irish and certainly being gay wasn't wasn't represented. <laughs> so he was just talked through as kind of the literary person. I think probably in the last 20, 25 years, we've started to really explore the full picture of this and this, this hidden history, which is why as the gay aristo, what I'm so fascinated in doing is taking, taking someone like uh, Georgina, the Duchess of Devonshire, and saying, how does she live? What was her relationship with Lady Elizabeth Foster? Let's look at the letters, some of the letters that remain. Most of them have been destroyed. Why have they been destroyed? Peering into the cracks of history to try and create a fuller history. And we mm. say history is written by the victors, the winners. To some extent, the LGBTQ plus community, certainly in this country, 
are on the road to winning. There's a lot more to do. And certainly the trans community are very under, uh, you know, uh, discriminated against at the moment. But because of that, I think, you know, we have we are able to explore but, a fuller history. So Andrew, Andrew was talking about it. the martyrdom thing. I mean, didn't Wilde himself write it? I mean, isn't that what he... The, the, the Ballad of Reading Jail. The Ballad of Reading Jail, yeah. It's an amazing piece of work. Yeah. But he, he, it's almost explicitly religious, isn't it? He, well, that was written, about a, it was written about a soldier, wasn't it, who had killed, slashed his wife's throat and he was hung in Reading Jail when, when Oscar was there. But certainly, again, you can see elements around the brutality of the penal system, the brutality of the of, of, of way people are treated. And I think, I think he was definitely equating himself there. For all, it was all men kill the thing they love and so they have to die. I remember my father quoting that to me as a child. Now, I would say, actually, Oscar killed the thing he loved, which was his reputation, his, his relationship with Bosie, which kind of, you know, was, was going along here on the left-hand side, but had the conventional life. He killed the thing he loved, and so he had to die too. Maybe he wrote his own, you know, uh, modus operandi. In, in did he expect lives. to come out of that experience in any way a hero, or did he know? No, he knew, he knew his life was over. And when he was in, when he was in, in Pentonville and then subsequently in Reading Jail. So two years, isn't it? Yeah, two he, years, hard <clears throat> labour. And straight um, to Paris? <clears throat> and then he went to Paris. But he, he had suicidal thoughts. He was often on what we'd now call a suicide watch. He knew his reputation was over. He tried, and this is something I don't like about him. I can understand him because he's a human being and we all have to make the best of the situation we find ourselves in. <clears throat> but at one point when he was in jail, he decided that he absolutely wanted to repudiate his homosexuality. And he wrote to a very senior government minister saying that he was under kind of madness. It was a passion. Um, he was infected. Now, <clears throat> someone who's suicidal, who's lost their reputation, who's living an extremely penal life, you can understand that. But I don't think that, that society or LGBTQ plus historians look enough at the fact that at one point he did mm. roll back from it. I mean, that's an interesting subject. I mean, people feel that, you know, homosexuality can be cured. Uh, you know, have argued and that. people still do believe with conversion exactly. therapy that and homosexuality and, and being a trans person can be cured. As and well. was that conversion. true at the time? You know, you're oh, talking absolutely. about his father people, thinking that Bosie didn't see him. Yeah. He'd be well, it fine. was it was an illness. It was a disease. Often it was a sexual disease because you got STDs as a result of it. But yes, absolutely, people thought it was an illness. But also, it was it was a sin. Remember, your immortal soul was at peril. This was a very, certainly on the surface, a very God-fearing society. Mm. So you would, uh, you would go to hell. And were the theories, I mean, you, you know, not that you were born like that, but perhaps because you didn't have a father or because of something happening, some experience... I mean, were there all sorts of theories that people tried to put forward? Well, to I mean, they it? called it <clears throat> the Italian disease, didn't they? <clears throat> you know, and I certainly know sort of in, in the 18th century when people would go on their grand tours, you'd be cautioned not to catch the Italian disease. But again, what's interesting from the history of people going on their grand tours, it's often a time when they maybe experimented or explored a bit more about their sexuality, but then <clears throat> came back to England and and got married and produced the air and the spare. But in terms of, I think people thought it was an illness, it was a madness, it was a disease, mm. um, and, you know, certainly... And, and in extremists, Wilde also entertained those ideas, that he was I actually... Think, yeah. When he left, um, did anybody meet him? Was <clears throat> Bosie loyal to him? Did his family stand so by Bozy him? was Bosie loyal to him. They had an interesting relationship. So in De Profundus, which is his, you know, massive work that he wrote when he was in jail, which was effectively a, a love letter or a letter to Bosie. He um 
he talks about how Basie kind of ignored him and he taught you all the difficulties of their, of their relationship. But um, he, and then he accused Basie of not writing to him and not wanting to support him, but he actually refused Basie's letters. All right. So again, he wasn't thinking very straight. His wife, Constance, came to see him a couple of times. At one point, she uh, was going to sue for divorce whilst he was in prison. He reconciled or tried very hard to reconcile with her, partly because if she had divorced him, more intimate details, particularly of the young men that he slept with, the young boys that he abused, would have come out in court and he probably would have been rearrested again. So there was something, you know, what's in it for me? I've got to stay in this relationship with her. There was obviously a financial element as well. And for most of his time in exile, she gave him some money or he managed to get some money from from her estate. So, but presumably he was earning royalties on his books and plays. It's interesting. I don't know about the royalties element, but he never had enough money. So, you know, when he was in Italy, he had a three pounds, I believe it was three pounds a week, or maybe three pounds a month. Anyway, three pounds from Constance as part of her kind of settlement. Women had a settlement when they got married and you had capital and interest. Anyway, he had three pounds from that. And, you know, he would go out for a day, go for lunch and spend £63 in a day. So excess, consuming, obsessive. And that didn't change after prison? Absolutely not. And he was always borrowing from people. He was met at Reading Jail. He had a couple of defenders, people like Robbie Robbins, who'd been with him for many years, who he probably had a relationship with him, who was, you know, who was around when, when, when he died just before... The, the dawn of the 20th century. He had some people who stayed by him. Bosie and him did get back together, much to people like Robbie's and Oscar's close friends' horror. They tried really hard, A, some of them to steer him back with his wife. Secondly, to keep him away from Lord Alfred Douglas because it was a toxic relationship. And they actually kind of absconded together and ran away. Um, but they carried on fighting with each other. There's records of Bosie throwing plates, you know, in a kind of a dramatic way at Oscar and making each other jealous with various other people coming into that relationship. But he did have people around him at the end, but he had no money. And how old were his children at this point? He had two sons. He had two sons. Uh, I I mean, I think they were coming into sort of teenage years. What was interesting, again, disappointing, Constance in her letters writes about how he doesn't acknowledge the news of his children. And also when they send him keepsakes, you know, I imagine, you know, my nieces send me pictures from, from boarding school or something, you know, so I imagine he would have been sent little pictures from the children. He chose not to acknowledge them. Whether that was so painful for him because he knew how much he had let them down, that's a possibility as well. And again, I like to think when I'm looking at these historical people, whether it, whether it's Georgina, or whether it's Oscar Wilde, you know, there's a real human side to it. No one is the one-dimensional, you're a prophet for homosexuality. Mm. Everyone is a human that's complex, has light Mm. and dark, makes mistakes, writes a letter they then regret. So um, we can interpret history any way we want. How has the family sort of shaped the narrative? I mean, have they withheld material because they're embarrassed or have they actually been very helpful to scholars? So I've I've never seen any direct commentary from from members of the Wilde family. I've never, I think the grandsons... Yeah, they would still, still alive. be alive. And yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, again, people create their own existence, their own life. You do get certain people who, you know, um, who 
are living on the fumes of their great-grandfather's works. Well, there's an Oscar Wilde <laughs> society with people like uh, Giles Brandreth, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. Active. absolutely. Um, and and I he's do... written a series of novels, hasn't I, he, with I, Oscar Wilde? I didn't know that. Yes, oh, as, a, as a detective. <laughs> oh, well, you learn new things <laughs> on this amazing. podcast. You're imagining Wilde as a detective. <laughs> yes. Oh, and yeah. is it set in Victorian days? I think or? so, yes. Well, Giles Brandreth is your man there. But well, I mean, absolutely. we've also had Stephen Fry and Rupert Everett. I mean, he's got some very yeah. well-known yeah, He's been absolute inspiration. And Rupert Everett obviously created his film, I think The Happy Prince, or Unhappy Prince, I have to check. But, uh, about Which is a Oscars. very sad film. Very sad. We were talking Oscar's Exile. I find that film very hard to watch, partly because... Again, you know, you see something like um, some of the more sanitised versions of Oscar Wilde's life and he's running around society in a frock coat, being terribly funny in a salon and maybe then having a, a snog with a sailor and that's and then the camera turns away. In Rupert Everett's film, he explores very much the dark side mm. of, 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 of his relationships with, with young men and his alcohol abuse. And But I do think, you know, I'm, partly I think partly his reputation has been restored because because of things like the Oscar Wilde Society, but also we're still talking about him because he is so complex. He's not one dimensional. Well if I just sat here and said, oh yes, he wrote lots of pamphlets and was, you know, was a was a prophet for gay love. Well, we'd be over in ten minutes. I might read you a couple of prophets. Uh, was... such an all-consuming scandal? I mean it was perhaps the greatest sort of theatrical or literary scandal there's ever been. Absolutely. And he, I mean he was and it <clears throat> echoed for decades. And I remember when I was at school in the seventies, if a boy was effeminate and the other boys wanted to be cruel to him, which they often were, they would call him Oscar Wilde in the right. 1970s. Okay. And I've seen lots of diaries mm. of soldiers and pilots from the Second World War where Oscar Wilde was used as a code for somebody's having a relationship with another man. Wow. It became the word. Yeah, well, it's a bit used. about reclaiming, which is why, you know, the LGBTQ plus community claim the word queer now. And there's a big debate. Some people don't like it. Some people believe it's reclaiming a word that was used in hate. Certainly at school, I was called queer. And the fact that you would call yourself, you know, a queer historian says, if I own this word, you can't have mm. a go at me now. I used to get called gay lord at school, which I think is hilarious. And when I bought my house in Wales, it came with a Lord of the Manor title. So I'm the Lord of Glenbark. And I always love the idea now. <laughs> I am in fact a gay lord and a very happy one. So oh, that's thank lovely. You very much. That's so lovely. But what's I'm interested about the history of 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 the way he's been sort of portrayed in books and films. I mean, we have the Richard Elman, which is the classic book, which as you say, someone like Neil McKenna was able to show there's another another way of telling mm. the story. But were there lots of biographies from the beginning of the 20th century, were there, I mean, I remember films coming out in the 50s. Yeah, I think there were... But a, I, again, a bit I, of him in the frock a coat. A little bit of him in the frock yeah. coat. I think, again, you know, delving into more of the hidden history is something that we've started to do quite recently. And, I, and I'll admit, watching the Rupert Everett film, whilst I thought Rupert Everett was absolutely incredible in that, I found it very difficult and struggled to watch the whole film. Interestingly, that film, he spent, I think, about 15 years trying to get it financed, we're still talking and they, about... And they worked. I mean, they worked at a loss, didn't they? They, yeah. they didn't get paid. Yeah, absolutely. So even though we know he is a figure that continues to uh, fascinate us and continues to be a, a way in to discuss LGBTQ plus love, even today it's difficult to get it finance. It's difficult to... Which is why something like Heartstopper on Netflix has been so beautiful, which has been like a world, you know, world-dominating... Uh, Phil, a, a TV series about two boys at school who fall in love. And one of the one of the reviews just talked about kind of it just being queer joy on screen. <laughs> and it's lovely that we that, that we were able to have and, that. And which which of his books or plays do you think is going to be most he's going to be most remembered for? I mean, Picture Picture of Dorian Gray? Or? I think the one that people often go to is the Picture of Dorian Gray, perhaps because 
it's the one that is about the artist. You can read so much of him in there. We're all, you know, concerned about what might happen in the afterlife. How do our sins and our indiscretions come back to haunt us? So in Dorian Gray, uh, this beautiful young man is painted and um, he wishes he could always remain looking like that. And basically he does. He doesn't age, but the picture ages. And he has a life of what we described in those days, a life of sin and vice and, you know, goes around the docks picking up sailors, all sorts of things. And uh, he then discovers at the end of the novel or the short story that his picture has aged horrendously and all his vice and sin is shown on his face and he slashes the picture and then kills himself. So there's an element there around, will we pay for our sins? What are sins? Uh, the, 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 the want of eternal youth. So I think probably, what do you think? Didn't he break Catholicism on his deathbed? Isn't that one story that's told Yeah, I I know he definitely had the last rites because Robbie did get a priest. But I thought was interesting, on his deathbed, I think it's hilarious, he was um, in a rather, yes, he was in a rather sad looking room and he said... uh, It's rather rather smart hotel now as a result of this association, yeah. So he looked at the wallpaper at the time and said, I looked at the wallpaper and said, one of us has to go. (laughs) Well, the wallpaper's gone. It's very smart, I can tell you. I I wish they kept a scrap, though. I love it when you go into some of these old houses and they they might, you know, in the wardrobe, have a a piece of what the... the, uh, Looked like. Yeah, yeah. a piece. Or they might have discovered it when they took back the kind of awful uh, Victorian or even 1960s stuff. They found a little scrap and they've now preserved it. They've done that in the Jane Austen house as well. And you can can actually, I believe, buy reproductions of it. So that... That I love, yeah. I'm intrigued by you know researching this history because you say it's hidden, the material is destroyed, and presumably when they communicated, they had to write almost in code because clearly they couldn't uh, afford for this stuff to come out. Well, Oscar um, and Bosie were careless. That was one of the issues, I believe. Although we'll never know the full details originally of, of Bosie's original blackmail in Oxford, which is where he you know first really got to know Oscar. Um, they did write to each other. And they wrote quite a letters that I would say weren't in code, very passionate letters that weren't in code. And there were situations where blackmailers, these letters, Bosie particularly, left them lying around his room, lying around the hotel rooms, and people stole them and people tried to blackmail them. Uh, by turning up with these letters. Now, Oscar Wilde once did something very clever. One of the blackmailers turned up with a letter uh, or said, I have a letter from you. He realised that this letter had been you know, stolen by somebody. And so he very cleverly rewrote the letter as a love poem and had it published in a magazine. So when the blackmailer turned up in Tite Street asking for five pounds, he said, you've got a literary masterpiece. You've got, you've got the, you know, it's worth more than five pounds because it's the start of this poem, which is coming out in such and such a magazine. The poor boy was completely stumped. Um, I think he got, I think he got a, a crown from Oscar and went away. And then he came back and gave Oscar the letter because he'd been so nice to him. And what happened to Bosie? So, um, well, you know, I think that's a very interesting subject. And as part of the Gay Arista, I want to do a whole, a whole, um, a whole YouTube video on him. I mean, he was crushed during Oscar's imprisonment. He wrote passionately to members of the government. He kept threatening that he was going to um, uh, publish letters and poems declaring the love that he and Oscar had uh, was certainly wasn't there when Oscar died. Um, I, you know what? I, I need to find out more. I need to find well, out why more. Was, why person. wasn't he prosecuted too? Well, be, well, 
that's the thing, isn't it? Double so standards. You're assumes. Double standards. You're part of the of society. You are protected by money and your class. And you may, your father may have gone to school with the judge. Yeah, or even the minister. Or the home office. You know, so yeah. absolutely. So but, that's fine. Well, I mean, I'm interested in Bosie because he became a, a, a sort of shrine that gays used to go and, and visit. And I'm so sure Guy Burgess went down to see him with Brian Howard just before Bosie died. Is that in, right? During the war. He also gets involved in all sorts of weird conspiracy theories. I think Churchill takes him to court in the 1920s. Gosh. He's involved in this allegation that Churchill had um, sent a message to America about the Battle of Jutland, uh, exaggerating the British losses so that the British stocks were collapsed and his friends could short them all and make lots and lots of money. And it, 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 Churchill sued him and won because he hadn't actually been to the Admiralty at the time or something like that. He didn't know the details wow. he's supposed to have leaked. But Bo- Bosie was involved in that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, what I love... He'd have been on Twitter now, no doubt. What well, I love yeah, in biographies is you read the biography of the main person and then, you know, they die and that's the end of the story. But actually, there are all these characters you've been following, like the children or the, well, I think the, he lived the, the to, collateral damage. He lived to the 50s, didn't he? Bosie uh, died, I think, at 45. 45. But, but I think the interesting thing is, is carrying on the story, an almost mm. an epilogue. I, mm. I think there's a book there in Bosie. Yeah, I think there is. And there was a biography, wasn't there? There was a biography, I think, written by um, a spectator journalist who wrote it, I think, at Oxford. I'm just... Certainly, I know that one of the when I'm thinking about what's next on my YouTube channel, I've put I've I've earmarked Bosie as a what happens to Bosie. So, to which um, I subscribed this very morning. Did you? And it's very good. Thank you. YouTube.com/gay. I recommend anybody t- check it out. Thank How many much. subscribers? Not many yet. Uh, all the best growing. ones. I hate, I, hate, I, hate, I hate to tell you, Andrew. More than just us. A, just a few more than us. <laughs> well, we're growing. We're growing, and we're on Instagram. <laughs> we need to do more gay history. Clear the secret. On Instagram, I started the account when I started doing my PhD for a bit of fun, really. So my three nieces, who I'm very involved in their in their in their upbringing, because my brother's no longer with us. So my three nieces, my husband, and my best friends subscribed to this Instagram account, you know, the Gay Arista, where I was sort of sharing things I was learning on my PhD and talking about you know gay history, and it started to just get bigger and bigger and now you know it's touching 8,000 subscribers in about I think about four months it's been going so, really, so it shows the level of interest yeah, in the subject absolutely, absolutely and what's driven that I mean is it things like LGBT month or is it just a lot of people feeling like you that the history wasn't being written about their lives yeah, so I think it's what's interesting is um, it isn't just LGBTQ plus people who follow me so I get people who are interested generally in history people who are interested in civil rights or injustice and putting you know I think there's been a historic um, injustice done to the LGBTQ plus community. And then obviously LGBTQ plus people. I think, I, 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 you know, I almost want to get to the point where I don't have to talk LGBTQ plus history. Where it is it's just normal history. Just history. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It well, is it's, just history. But it is a hidden history. And I think that's yeah. what fascinates me. There's so much of our history we don't know. And, mm. and so we need to illuminate it. And, it, and on that black, hidden history. Black history or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. On that hidden history, uh, I sometimes talk about a particular, you know, it could be going into a country house. Uh, I was at Ashridge House last week, Ashridge Castle, and I was showing some of the behind the scenes there. It could be other interesting parts of history that we just don't see. But I think also now we have the opportunity through social media to also bring stories to life. <clears throat> so for me at school, history was very boring. It was about mainly white men 
the battles that they fought, and whether or not they'd recognise their bastard child. And so what I'm trying to do with the gay arista is bring but, the story to life. I don't know what school you went to, but I mean, even in the 1980s, I think we'd moved on from that. Oh, I don't, I'm not sure I we did at mine. But, but yeah. let me give you an example. So I remember, you know, as I said, my, my parents were Irish immigrants to this country. Um, growing up kind of in the 70s and 80s, being Irish wasn't always easy. But in school... I remember our, our tutor or our, our teacher talking about uh, Castlereagh. You know, I was, my ears picked up Castlereagh, very involved in the Acts of Union in Ireland, had a great impact on Irish history, even just to hear a little bit of Irish history, because we didn't talk about Ireland at home because it was when the IRA were very active and we were absolutely not going to talk about being Irish or present ourselves in any way Irish in society at those times. So my ears pricked up, uh, you know, very involved in raising funds for the defeat of Napoleon, incredibly wealthy, uh, minister in the government, huge grand estate, titled, and then he commits suicide. And I remember my, my teacher just saying, horrid man, slash his throat, move on. And what I've only found out, and it's all struck me as really odd, plus he was really good looking. So I was like, <laughs> that's really odd. It's only recently I found out that he was a homosexual, that he received a letter blackmailing him. He went to the king and four days later, later he slashed his throat. Amazing. Now, if my tutor had said to me, so let's talk a little bit around homosexuality, around gay shame, around representation, about being allowed to be who you are, I think my teenage years would be very different. And that's what I'm trying to do. So the single most important fact about his death was not talked. Not talked about. But also just his whole representation wasn't talked about. And so, um, you know, I've had people contact me on the Instagram and say, my child came out to me this weekend. My teenage daughter came out to me this weekend. She was very, very nervous, very scared. And I took your Instagram account and I showed her how she comes from a whole history of LGBTQ plus people. I've had people, men in their 80s contact me to say, thank goodness someone is finally talking about this um, because I never heard this at school. I felt really alone and isolated and unrepresented. And now we are being represented. I think, you know, one of the things I loved most about the royal family, Prince William is a huge LGBTQ plus ally. And what he said recently was, I wouldn't mind if any of my children were gay. I would only be concerned about the criticism that they would receive. Mm. And I think that's amazing. I, you know, I've got no view whether members of the royal family are gay or not. I would love one day to see a same-sex marriage yes. on the balcony at Buckingham Palace and kiss, kiss. You have However, two queens. We've had, well, we've had a couple of queens, <laughs> haven't we? James the first and Edward the second, and we've had Anne, a Queen Anne as well. Or that maybe. Well, maybe rumors. we should have you back to talk about Piers Gaveston. Oh, I love <laughs> all that. Oh, or Hula Depensive, the nasty one. In fact, on YouTube, we do have "Bad Boyfriends Cost Me the Crown," which is all about Edward the second. Oh, I like that idea. We need better titles. We should, we should <laughs> yes, copy Bach. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Lot to learn here. Well, I so think this is levels. such a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. I mean, what's your final thoughts about Oscar and what, what his continuing relevance, if any, to young people today? Yeah. Oh gosh, his 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 relevance for young people today. I think. I or think anybody today. Yeah, yeah. with anyone. I think what's interesting about Oscar is about how, what I love about him is he had a really. He was really ambitious. He really wanted to achieve. He made the most of his skill, his literary genius. But like Tamburlaine and Marlowe, he overreached. And just be careful that you don't get carried away with your own story. Well, when we get over a thousand subscribers, obviously, Andrew, we've got to be careful about that. Yes, we will. <laughs> many, many thanks for coming to join You're us. You're welcome. It's been great fun. Thank great. You. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. 
You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.